All right, so we're still working through vocabulary, and we do have a lot of vocabulary to go. Um, not so much with the idea of election, but it goes on from every other doctrine that we're going to move forward, so we'll still be working through vocabulary until we get to the theology of it. Uh, two important words this week, one really important word next week, and then we'll be to the theology of election, that sort of thing. But this is the word that we were working on last week, ek lego, compound word, ek always means out of, and then you put the lego on with that and it's to collect or to gather or to pick up. So you get the idea of where ek lego, why it's translated as election or choice or choosing and those sort of things in the New Testament. Um, easy to get there from there. Now we talked about how you find this word in the noun, the adjective, and today we're going to work through the verbs. But just in way of reminder, here it is in the noun form. And of course, you remember a noun is a person, place, or thing. And so this is God's thing right here. In the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's, it's His thing, God's gracious choice. And so that's this word in the noun form. Uh, Romans 11, I'll give you two on each one of these. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies, speaking about the Jews at the current time, for your sake. But from the standpoint of, here it is again, God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. So again, ek, out of, lage, to gather, to pick up. And God is the one who has done this. It is His thing, God's choice. Okay? We looked at the adjective, and remember, adjective always describes things. The angry boy, angry is the adjective. It just describes what's going on with the boy, right? And so we take this word, and it's in an adjective form in several places. And Colossians 3 is an example of that. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So if you're looking for this thing to be some sort of slam dunk to election, it's not. It's just simply God's way of describing his people. They are choice. Uh, you can't translate the word this way, but the idea is they are precious to God. They are special. Okay, But again, Paul builds it off this word, and he refers to, uh, to us as the elect of God. Okay? So that's what we are known as a number of places in the New Testament. Now, i got to teach you some verb stuff because ek legomai, you can see, it's still built off of that same root, if you will. And so Paul's right there on that slide, and let me remind you of some things that I'll struggle with just a little bit. So you've got the two voices. Y'all remember in English, you probably don't want to remember this. And if there's an English teacher in here, my wife can get on to me later. Uh, this is what you've got in English, okay? Voices, active and passive, okay? Uh, let's see. Here's an active. Remember this? Boy's a subject. He's the one that hit. So that's active, right? Active voice. Now, if you turn it around, let's see, the ball was hit, 
by the boy. The ball didn't do anything. It received the action, and so this is in a passive voice, okay? You with me? Everybody with me? All right, so when you get to this, in Greek, you have a new voice that you don't understand in the English. And I'll just write it up here. It's known as a middle voice, okay? Now, let me give you an example of that. Somewhere in here, I may have to, uh, I hope I didn't erase that slide. All right, somebody that's got a, here it is. Okay, here you go. So this is a middle voice verb. And it's when the subject is doing something on, to, or for himself. So I washed is active, but you're washing yourself. And so in English, we would just simply leave that as active. I wash myself. But in the Greek, they give that into a middle voice. And so here's one of the middle voices that we find in the text that has no theological relationship whatsoever. Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the officers warming himself at the fire. Again, in English, we would just make it active. Peter was warming himself. He was doing the action. But in Greek, Peter is acting, but he's acting upon himself. Does that make sense? And so that gives it, in the Greek, it gives it a middle voice. So this is where things get a little bit different in the English. Okay? Now, I'll leave that up there so you can refer to that in just a second. But let's talk about tenses for just a second, too. Anybody remember the verb tenses? Rob, math teacher. There you go. So every one of these... Do what? I know, right? Um, every one of these have something to do with what? Thank you. Time. Well, guess what? You've got that in the Greek, but in the Greek, you've got a verb tense that has nothing to do with time whatsoever. It's called aorist. And the deal with this verb tense, it's only concerned with what has been done, the particular action. Okay? So let me help you with this. Hopefully this will make sense. When we get to this verb tense, or when we get to this word form in the verb form, it's only in an aorist middle. It is used in no, and that's pretty unique, it's used in no other verb tenses in all the scripture. So in other words, every time that we're going to see this word that we're talking about in a verb, in the scriptures, always in the middle voice, and it's always aorist in its action, every single time. And the reason is, God is almost always the subject, and He's electing 
for His own purposes. God's doing the action and He's doing it for Himself. Okay? And He's not doing it in a past, present, future. He has no relationship with time and election. It's just what God is doing. That's all Scripture wants you to see. God says, I'm doing this for myself. And the only thing that's important is that I'm doing it. There is no relationship to time. There is no relationship to active, passive, none of this stuff. It's just, and again, the reason that this is unique is every time you find this word in the verb form, it's always in the aorist middle, which again is communicating. God says, I'm doing this. I'm doing this for me. And I'm not going to give you any relationship to time. You just need to know I did it. Okay? Does that make sense? Because now I'm about to give you a whole lot of verses where you see this take place. Questions? You need me to go over that again? You got it? All right. Everybody's like, please don't go over that again. All right. Here you go. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the adjective form, for the sake of the elect whom He chose, He shortened the days. God's a subject, it's in the middle voice, and it's an aorist. Because the only thing that he wants you to understand is, I did it for myself, and I want you to understand my action, not in a past, present, future relationship. This is what I have done. So you read this passage, you've got to do something with this. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he elected, he shortened the days. That's how you read that in the English. Questions? Make sense? He uses the word twice. I mean, here it is in the Greek, adjective form, verb, aorist, middle form, okay? And so, you know, if, if you're somebody that is offended by election, you're really going to struggle with Mark 13, 20, because you just can't unravel that any other way. That's just how it plays out with the grammar, okay? Let me show you some other ones. When the day came, he called his disciples to him and chose Arismittle, 12 of them whom he also named apostles. So what's the Lord doing here? What's context? He's calling the disciples. Calling the disciples. He's calling 12 of them. So it's very easy to understand Arismittle because Jesus says, I chose them for myself. <laughs> Not for them, but for myself. So you think about Peter warming himself at the fire, and you bring that into the relationship of this verb. Now you understand the verb. The Lord says, I chose, I chose these 12 from me. Okay? Ek, out of, there was a whole lot of men there. Out of all those men, the Lord says, I picked 12 of them from me. Okay? And again, he just wants you to see the action of that. Now here's one that might mess your theology up a little bit with election. John 6, 70, Jesus answered, Did I not choose you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? So you have to keep that in mind too, because he elected Judas for a purpose. Okay? We always want to tie this word to salvation. 
But this is not a good word to necessarily do that. There's better words for that. But God said, I, I picked 12. I, I picked them for me. Okay? Woo, when I was younger, thankfully, I'm way too old and grumpy to be exposed to this sort of thing now, but as at a youth rally, and the, the guy up there, the youth pastor, was talking about how the reason that there were 12 is because he couldn't find 13 men to follow him. I almost lost my mind. The reason there was 12 is because he chose 12. And if he hadn't chose one, there would not have been one. Okay? So you got to pay attention to what the text says and, and get over yourself just a little bit. Okay? Look who he chose. They were kind of pathetic. Exactly. Yeah, it's not a group to get fired up about. Exactly. Okay. John 13. I do not speak to all of you. I know the ones whom I have chosen, I don't know what that was, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. All right, John 13 kind of changes the perspective because out of the 12, what did he do there? There was just one that was set aside for one purpose, okay? And there was 11 because that's plural. So even among the 12, there was 11 for a special purpose. God said, I did this for myself. Okay. John 15, again, you can't escape the context. You refers to 12 men, actually 11. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. John 15, still... If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Oh, you got two X right here. You got this word, ek, that goes with eklegomai, and then you got ek right here, because he chose you out of the world. Right? And again, aorist, not past, present, future, aorist, this is what I've done. Middle voice, I did it for myself. Okay? I chose you out of the world. Uh, several of these are in the book of Acts. Until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given order to the apostles whom he had chosen. Again, that refers to the 11 when Jesus ascended. Acts one twenty four, And they prayed, You, O Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show which one of these two you have chosen. All right, what's context? Trying to pick a new apostle. Trying to pick one to replace Judas. Anybody remember the guy's name? Matthias. Matthias. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you could pronounce it Matthias. But it's interesting how they did that because they whittled it down to two and it was like, okay, Lord, we know you picked one of them, so just, yeah, exactly, rock, paper, scissors. And he did it. All right, Acts 13, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers, made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with uplifted arm, he led them out from it. Acts 15, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to him, Brother, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And that's the Apostle Paul referring to himself. And he referred to himself as God made a choice. Isn't that interesting? Paul was 
probably the second most humble man in the whole of Scripture other than Moses, right? And yet Paul says, God chose me for the specific purpose of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And he understood that. Okay. Now, if you've ever had a moment of pride in your life, this passage will crush that immediately. God, in an aorist middle, has chosen for himself the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen for himself the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And God has chosen for himself the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen for himself the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. Who's he talking about? Believers. Believers in general. If you want to know why the love of God has fallen to you, it's because from a worldly perspective, you're foolish, weak, base, despised, and are not. And we try to make so much of ourselves, don't we? We try to make so much of our kids. And yet God chooses those things which are not. And we've got to remember that. In some way, you need to figure out how to communicate that truth to your kids. Right? Because this, these are the sort of things that God says, I, I pick those particular things for myself. Right? And that's not the things that we pick at all, is it? This passage has always messed me up. We pick the opposite every time. And God says, that's not what I've done. Okay? And then you've got this. And this one's difficult to get over. Just as He, God, chose, heiress middle, us, in Christ, when, here's your relationship to time, before the foundation of the world, Here's the purpose that we would be both holy and blameless before Him. There's a lot in that one verse. But God has done this in the aorist tense. He doesn't give us time here. He gives us time here. He did it in the middle voice because God says, I did it for myself. Why did you do it? Well, right here. So we would be like that. So that, that answers a whole lot of questions. Who did it? Why did he do it? There you go. Why would he choose you? That you would be holy and blameless before him. When? Before he ever set a star in the sky. I mean, there's just no way around that grammatically. I mean, you can argue with that all day long. But you can look at these words in non-theological context where Jesus is just, okay, I'm going to pick 12 guys for myself. And then he turns around and uses the exact, exact same word in the exact same tense and the exact same voice. And he says, oh, and I did you before the foundation of the world. Right? And let me, I think everybody in here in this room is cool with that statement. So let me just blow your mind just a little bit more because Steve and I have talked about this. Look at this. <clears throat> How does that mess you up? Come on, Becky's going to get mad. (laughs) 
What's funny about that? Well, you hadn't even been born yet, and you were in him. There's never been a time where you've been apart from him. Well, not physically. But you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. You've never been apart from Christ. Now, we've got to be careful with that theologically because there still has to be a time where you repent and believe, but you do realize you repented and believed and heard the gospel because you were in him. So there's never been a time that you've been separated from him in a sense because you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That's can't explain that one, but that's utterly amazing. Okay, We were put in a relationship with the Son before. You think about all the people in the world that hate him, and yet there's a tremendous love in your heart for him, and you have to realize you didn't muster that up. God did a work in your heart, and now you love his son. You're just, he's your number one love. What a, Oh, let's don't go that deep. Yeah, because Colossians will mess me up if I say what I want to say. Yeah. But the reason they don't love him is because they were not chosen in him before. If that helps. It's difficult. James says, listen, my beloved, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. Now you certainly have to keep that in the context of James. James is a little bit crazy. We'll leave him there. All right. Any questions about that word? Because I'm about to move on to the next word. This, you know, I told you this is the book that rolled me up, man, several years ago. Because you have to come to the place, am I going to hang on to my theology and all the things that I believe and I've been taught, or am I just going to let the grammar of the text determine what I think? And once you get that play, if you're there, you, you'll probably have found that place very freeing because you're not tied to anything, and you're willing to have your mind changed. And once you're willing to have your mind changed, you learn a whole lot from the Scriptures because God's just like, oh, where? Somebody's going to listen. And you begin to understand a great deal of things. All right, fun word. Harry, as in Potter. Tizo. Harry Tizo. Uh, again, you find it in chosen in some context. Behold my servant, whom I have chosen. My beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. So it's almost translated, well, it is here exactly like our eklage, but this is where the father speaks to the son, my son whom I have chosen. Here it is in another context, Philippians 1.22, not necessarily, not necessarily theological. Paul says, Philippians 1, if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I do not know which to choose. Now, tell me something about this word from that context. 
making a decision between what? Very good. Because I want you to hold on to that. So we see this word is used in the context of making a decision among two things or a number of things. Okay. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing Harry Tizo rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So tell me about that word in that context. What were the choices? For Moses, because he made the choice. Ill treatment or pleasures. Ill treatment or pleasure. Well, we could talk about that verse, right? Which one would you choose? Let's, that's a good time to talk about this now that summer vacations are pretty much over, right? He made his choice. Now, when you come into 2 Thessalonians, if you wanted to slam dunk, here you go, because this has all the theological context in the world. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. God made a choice. He's the subject. He's the one that had more than one that he could have picked from, more than two. And he chose you from the beginning. There's nothing else you can do with this, this passage. Okay? Because you get it in these two contexts right here. And you go, okay, I understand the word, I understand the verb, I understand what's going on. Very simple. And then you move it into a theological context and you're like, oh my. Okay. I begin to understand what God has done. All right? That's a bigger word to me than the one we just talked about. Any questions about that word? I've just got one more word today. All right. Tasso means to arrange. It's spelled just like it sounds, tasso, except that's what it looks like in the Greek. Usually translated designated or appointed, but the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had tasso designated. Acts 22, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up, go into Damascus, and there you'll be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. Who's the Lord talking to there? Nice. Huh? No. no. Who is this? This one. Huh? Who's going to Paul? No, Acts 22. This, this is Paul's testimony. The Lord said, get up, and I'm going to tell you what I've appointed you to do. That's just when he's talking to, uh, what's the king's name? Huh? I don't remember now. Y'all messed me up. We're not going to get this one. Yeah. All right. Romans 13. Here we go. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God and those which are established by God. 
That's the pill that you have to swallow every year at election time. All authorities have been arranged, appointed, established by God. Acts 13, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as had been That's a difficult passage. That's why this word is so important because now it's in a theological context. The Lord appointed a mountain or he picked a mountain. The Lord told Paul, I've appointed you for a specific task and you bring it into a theological context. And Luke writes in Acts 13, who believed? Well, as many as had been appointed believed in the gospel. And this right here is the reason that you go to the mission field, right here. Because as you preach, there will be those that will hear and repent and believe. Guarantee. It may take a few years, but it's a guarantee. Because as many as have been appointed to eternal life have believed. <coughs> Difficult word to get around. Uh, Sarah Cody, help me. I always miss this word. Tithemi? Okay, Tithemi. Uh, usually translated destined. I thought I had, that was the last word. I guess this one is. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for attaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You did not choose me, but I chose you and Tithemi, you, that you go and bear fruit. And then, I think this is, this is the last verse. And so, Brad Coots, I'll read it out loud and this will get to your question you said just a little bit ago. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. Trick question, what does that teach? That God is sovereign. God is sovereign? <laughs> Cop out. <laughs> Cop out. Jesus. <laughs> What's the problem here? What does it look like? Well, it looks like there's a group of people that have been appointed to do. Yes, that's what it looks like. All right, so here's the problem, though. And a lot of people use this passage. Again, I'm not there yet. I've got friends that are there. Not good friends. Uh, <laughs> but i got friends that are there that are under the idea that God appointed some to eternal life and he appointed others to doom. And that's not in the text, but they love to use this particular passage to prove this. But here's the problem. Okay? That's a verb. And it's in the active voice. They disbelieved. Here's another verb. This stone which the builders rejected. Who rejected them? Those who disbelieved. This became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, rock of events. For they stumble, active voice. This is what they did. Because they are disobedient, active voice. This is what they did. And to this doom they were also appointed. In other words, it's surrounded 
by this idea that there's a group of people who are disobedient, disbelieved, they rejected, and they stumble. And God says, I have appointed them to a doom. So in other words, this doesn't look very particular to me anymore. It looks very general because man is still morally culpable. You're still responsible to repent and believe. And because you've not repented and believed, all of those who disbelieve have been appointed to doom. Does that clean that up any? Because that's where I am with that passage. But I got people who argue with me. But I'm like, you're ignoring every verb around that. In other words, everyone who is in hell is there because of what they have done, not what God has done. Okay? Yeah, when you say, if it says, and to doom, they were also appointed. That could change that up a whole lot to be in hell. But when they say this doom, well, what's this doom? Right. Their disobedience and their stumbling. And yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, in the text, can we find that God appointed, arranged, we're going to find the word predestined next week, elected some to eternal life before time? Yes, that's in the text, period. Do we find in the text that you must repent and believe in order to be saved? Yes, it's in the text. Can you put those two together? Well, if you can, please write a book because nobody's been able to in the last, I don't know how long since they wrote the Bible. But at the same time, I can't find in the text from the grammar where God has appointed anybody to hell, but he's appointed all those who disbelieve and reject. Okay? All right, questions, we're done.